each of you too today. Today's the wrap-up day for our our biannual Board of Trustees affirmation, and I want to thank each of you that have put your cards in the box. It means so much to us, and we're so grateful, and how deeply grateful I am for each of these board members and all that they do to lovingly stand by faith with us, to support you, and uh, pray for God's guidance in all that we do. I want to invite you to open your Bible to the third chapter of Colossians today. We'll be looking first at verse 15 through the end of that chapter uh, to look at together the seventh of Colossians snapshots. In this case, today we come to a pivot point in the flow of truth that is given to us in this incredibly rich epistle, a connection between the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ, as we've been talking about in the prior weeks, and the on-the-ground practical realities in daily life. I remember the first time I learned about some of the latest technology, and now this is a bit dated because this would be like the early 90s, but some of the technology of laser technology that was just phenomenal in the, uh, on, in the 70s, 80s, and beyond. And then, of course, by our time now, has just inc- brought such incredible advances in medical treatment um, that allows for non-invasive surgeries and just I- all kinds of applications in military technology and in in the technology we all use every day with tablets and all these kinds of things that are affected. I remember learning about it that um, the Livermore Laboratory in Southern California had developed by about 1990 an eczema laser that was so precise in its, in its um, ability to pinpoint something with a pinpoint of very powerful light that they said that the eczema laser could create an incision 10,000 times finer than a human hair. And that being the case, we know when the scripture talks about illustrations of God bringing healing and wellness into our lives, he uses illustrations that are relevant to that Because the Bible says we need very precise help in our lives. So I want you to notice with me, if you would, in Colossians 3.15, that we we reach a section that I think of as laser beam living in a kaleidoscope world. Because in our culture, it is increasingly clear that many people's lives find information overload to be one of the obstacles to a clear sense of purpose in living. What is striking to me in the practical section that we're going to look at today, there's really, there's really six topical areas that we want to look at. Three are general and three are specific. All of these topical areas, the connection between the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus is accented by some very interesting nuances in the text. Now, I want to begin at that 15th verse of Colossians 3, where the familiar encouraging words we hear are, let the word, uh, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So, first of all, we find as we looked at this 
transformational truth last week of the reality that Christ in his risen glory gives each of us a present tense, powerful resource in being able to contend with the poisons of our culture. And yet, we know too that our culture becomes fascinated with different changing demands and dynamics continuously, and many people lose sight of the forest for all the trees, even in the Christian life. And it's really notable here that in six topical areas, after talking about being risen with Christ, seeking those things that are above, for your life is hid with Christ in God, and we left last week by looking at a threefold dynamic of what it means for Christ to live in us. First, that Christ is alive in us. Second, that we're alive in him. And third, that Colossians 3, 4, if you look up in the text there, back to that fourth verse, that there's this definitive statement that affects all the tropical areas we're going to look at today. When Christ, who is our life, present tense, now future tense, when he shall appear, when in his eternal splendor, Christ bodily returns to lay claim to this sin-cursed planet, then it will be visible what is now invisible and yet as powerful, as precise, as effective, as multifaceted as a laser from God is the pure, unadulterated power of the life of Christ. So in a, we could say, really, that in verses 5 through 14, where we read about the putting off of these poisons of the soul, and then verses 11 to 15 about the putting on of the, of the character of Christ, that God is giving us this gentle visual analogy of putting off the old man, putting on the new person who is none other than Christ himself, but Christ himself personalized so that every day of our lives we can say, my growth in holiness, my growth in a walk with God is not dependent upon my ability any more than my salvation was. I have the assurance of the risen life of Christ. He is my life. He's alive in me. I'm alive in him. And today, on July 17th, 2022, you and I can say Christ is our life. Let's shout it out together. Christ is our life. So if he's our life, then six troubling, potentially troubling topics can become an ally in our journey to experiencing this laser beam living, a singular focus, in other words, on being loyal to Jesus. A singular focus, as powerful as a laser, on the fact that you and I have not only a resource in Christ, but that we're called to be loyal to him. And this string of topics gives us examples, 
not an exhaustive list by any means, but examples of areas where this laser beam of the life of Christ can be applied directly to some of the toughest issues of life. Now, out of these six, the first three I say are general, so let's look at those first of all. Verse 15 has to do with a peace and a peacefulness that is not primarily subjective in this text. I can remember as a very young believer, now God gives us comfort sometimes from scriptures even if we don't fully understand them. Isn't that wonderful? God does that for us all the time. Uh, uh, but I remember reading it first as a subjective thing, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, and it is that. And we have Philippians 4, 7, of course, that tells us the peace of God will rule as a garrison in your heart through Christ Jesus. But this is applying a slightly different uh, emphasis, and that is let a peacefulness, a confidence in the rule of Christ in our lives, let it settle down inside of you so that in one body in which we are called, you can live in harmony. So for the first topic here really has to do with a broad a broad scope of relationships in life including first the body of Christ first the household of God but family co-workers and the community and and what's great about this is an understanding that a child of God has a resource to deal with conflict that can put him or her in an advantage even when the conflicts are deep and sharp because not because again of our natural abilities of course but because we can say Christ is my life so I'm going to enter this difficult arena of conflict knowing that my living Savior is going to make me a part of being a problem solver so this peace of Christ in verse 15. Secondly, in verse 16, the word of Christ. So we have not only a peacefulness and a peacemaking kind of agenda in verse 15, but then uh, the nourishment of our lives in verse 16, then a gratitude perspective in verse 17. And these three general topics help to frame the truths of three more specific topics and these three have two parts to each of them. So they're really, you might say, six topics. That is marriage, child raising, and servant-master relationships, which we might, in a contemporary way, update to speak about or think about employer and employee, but it has a broad application, even in situations where servanthood is harsh, and of course it has an application to the multi multi-century problem of slavery in many different cultures. But before we delve into that, think about this now, that the laser beam focus of these verses, it's not disconnected from the supremacy of Christ. When we read in 115 that he's the image of the invisible God, and verse 17 that in Christ all things are held together, and in Colossians 3, 4 that he is our life, then God is sending us into the real struggles of life some of the most difficult and thorny issues of life have to do with marriage relationships and how it all gets worked out between spouses child raising and the vital necessity of every child knowing his or her intrinsic value in the eyes of God and being raised with a wise balance of 
strong discipline and deep abiding love and rich acceptance. And all of that together and all of those issues that are related to that, they're packed into very concise sentences in this section of this epistle. So they're, they're, like, um, they're like doorways into vast arenas of very significant issues, but the, revolve, but the principle that wraps them up is loyalty to Jesus by each of us following our Heavenly Father's very clear instructions. So it is in this light that we can see one of the beautiful aspects of this epistle is the integration of the, of, of the supremacy of Christ our Savior into all of the arenas of life where we need to know, yes, in that moment of discomfort in a marriage relationship, in that struggling question of how much to how to shape this child's behavior in a wise and godly way, whether it's a three-year-old or a 13-year-old, and, and in all of the relationship issues that circle around that, to be able to say, in him, in everything, he, Christ, might have the supremacy. Am I literally, in my home, in my marriage relationship, and how I think of my wife, how wives think of their husbands, how parents think of their children, how children are being cultivated and developed with an understanding of the right way to respond to authority and to develop a healthy understanding of good relationships in life, and then in the servant and master arena, how we approach our work, and if we're on the employer side of that, how we treat our employees, all of these issues, three specific topics, each with two sides, husband-wife, child-parent, master-servant. So really, six areas in which there are very concise and specific directions. And in some ways, when we see this, it's a reminder that in both the relationships of life and in the responsibilities of life, one of the adventures of following Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit is that every day, no matter how much trouble may come your way, you can say, the thing that keeps me focused, the thing that keeps my life aimed as a laser beam for Christ is that in all things, he is supreme. That I can trust him, that he has, he has a, not only does Jesus, it's kind of trite, I think, for, to say things like, well, Jesus is the answer. Well, that sounds really great until uh, a husband and wife are in a tense argument with each other. It doesn't feel like Jesus has the answer to that argument, Amen. And uh, or you're struggling with a child's very out of control behavior, and you're trying to think what's the best strategy for getting this child to understand uh, responding to command, or to uh, pick up her things in her room, or to uh, or to uh, carry out a detail, or to do their homework, or you know a thousand and one other issues in life as raising children. So when we think about all of this, we have to realize that there's a kind of a a, a tightly woven pattern in Colossians 3 that begins with a fact about Jesus. He's risen, and we're risen with him. And so in this new life in Christ, and the fact that he is our life, we can get a consistent focus on clear-thinking worshipers who are growing stronger daily in God's word by doing what verses 9 through 14 tell us, actively putting on Christ, putting on 
Christ. I've always thought it's notable that God used an illustration like that because it's, how, how could it be any more simple than to think of, you go to a closet, uh, let's say you're, you know, you're looking for a certain jacket, and, and, and you, you, know, you take off one item of clothing and you put on a jacket or you put on another piece of clothing. It's the, one of the simplest and most uh, mundane things that people do in their lives every day. And God's Word uses a simple action like that to describe what Christ has already done for us, that we can choose to take off this. When you see that ugliness, when you see that viciousness, when you see that irritation that arises in the home, in a, in a marriage relationship, the sharp edges between a husband and wife, those things that always irritate a wife about her husband or a husband about her wife, or the conflicts between parents and children. And you get all of these thorny issues in life. And anybody who's honest knows that these things are a part of what saps the joy of believers. They said, we had a wonderful time in worship until I, we had this argument, or we got into this problem with our child or our, our teenager. So when we start to think of it this way, we see there's this broad pattern of, of Colossians that's saying, you are being given the equipment in verses 15, 16, and 17. The peace of Christ that rules like an umpire. The word of Christ that is nourishment to your soul so you can teach one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then verse 17, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. So let's look at those three general topics quickly. And that, again, that 15th verse gives us this kind of insight I think is very helpful. The key verb in verse 15 is the Greek word literally means, would translate in contemporary language to a, an umpire, to the umpire. And so we might understand and grasp here that just as there are times when we find ourselves conflicted about how to bring peacefulness and harmony and a truly proactive problem-solving attitude into a home, a business, a community, a church, or any organization where conflict has stolen the momentum of joy that should be in those relationships. The... Um, the translation, the paraphrase of Eugene Peterson that we sometimes like to consult for its uh, insight into the language called the message puts the 15th verse like this, soul harmony which comes from the rule of Christ, deciding and setting all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state in which as members of Christ's body you were called to live. Uh, this is a, a, a very interesting way to think about this. We were called to live in a peaceful state. Now, look at America today, and of course, most of us would say, wow, what we're seeing in our culture is anything but a peaceful state. And of course, it's always going to be at war because Jesus said that um, evil men and imposters will, will increase and, and uh it, where iniquity abounds, in Matthew chapter 24, where iniquity abounds, the love of many will wax cold. And if they hated you, if they hate me, they will hate you, John chapter 15. So we know that the conflict in our culture is not no surprise, and, 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 and we know it's going to increase. But believers walking in this culture have the capacity 
to live in a way that brings a proactive, problem-solving peacefulness in places where other people simply throw up their hands and quit. Then secondly, the second topic is the spiritual nourishment, and that is Colossians 3.16. What a wonderful fact to get a hold of. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly places the supremacy of Jesus at the heart of our need for the daily nourishment of Scripture. And it's notable that in all of the texts of Scripture where the logos or the rhema of God, the word of God, both words, in every other place where it's used, it is the word of God, God's word, the Holy Spirit said, Jesus said, so forth. Here, this phrase is the only time it's used exactly in this way, the word of Christ. It's consistent with the theme of the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians where he refers to our Lord Jesus Christ 26 times in these four short chapters emphasizing the supremacy of Christ. He rules and reigns in his eternal splendor and the word of our Savior. The word of Christ is richly, richly developing and nourishing you so that it gets very nitty-gritty in terms of wherever you go, whatever you do. Whatever you do. Could you say aloud, whatever I do? Whatever I do. And apply that to your recreation. Apply that to your relationship. Apply that to your job, to your favorite sport to your um, social connections in the community. Apply that to the, the, the realm of, um, of, of employment as well as the, the realm of enjoyment. P apply that in the realm of missions and in the realm of church life and cultivating this congregation for the glory of God. Whatever we do, whatever we do here at Liberty Church, may we do it with gratitude in our hearts and do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father. I know it's really easy to relegate some of these verses to just kind of a pretty poetic, flowery phrase, but they're embedded in the very nature of how the Apostle Paul dealt with problems and conflict and controversy and hurt. In fact, it's helpful to remember at this point that these very words, these words were being written from house arrest in Rome in a place where the Apostle Paul was confined against his will for over two years, uh, waiting for his appeal to Caesar. And uh, under some relative freedom, in Acts chapter 28, we read that there were people that were allowed to come and go to Paul to see Paul, but Paul himself was under house arrest. And yet, the book of Acts ends with the very scene where Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians, and in the very last verses of the 28th chapter of the book of Acts, turn over and look at it in your Bible. Let's, let's take a moment and see it. Acts chapter 28, notice that the last verses emphasize uh, one of the very reasons why Paul can exhort us to be thankful to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus when we're facing some things that we may be very troubling in our lives, and that is that... In, in Acts chapter 28, Paul is bringing the gospel of the kingdom to people who come to see him, and yet many among them are rejecting the message. Look at Acts chapter 28 and verse 22. For we desire to hear from you, that is, many of the, the visitors from the Jewish ethnic community, what you think 
for concerning those <laughs> we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Those things that we're hearing about that are spoken against everywhere. So the, the very some of the very visitors that are coming to Paul are saying, we want to hear more about this, this uh, following Jesus, this thing called the way, this thing of people talking about resurrection and, and, and the Messiah promised to Israel who is now alive. Paul begins to unfold all from the law and from the prophets. And there's an indication uh, in that uh, section here that Paul does an extensive presentation of who Jesus is, what his glory means, what the cross accomplished, and the power of his resurrection. And yet many of them did not Agree among themselves. And then Paul gives us an insight into the prophetic fact that all of us will encounter many, many different seasons of conflict and controversy, many times far beyond our capacity to solve. And yet, in spite of those many setbacks, what might it feel like a setback, The Bible says in verse 26, I'm having trouble with my eyes today. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, approaching the kingdom of preaching the kingdom of God, and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, and knows the last words of the book of Acts. No one forbidding him. That phrase translates an intriguing Greek word that means to be unhindered. The closing word, think of it, the closing statement of the entire book of Acts is the word unhindered, unhindered, in spite of what looked like many types of conflicts. And so when you think of it and toggle back to Colossians 3, it's very, uh, it's very notable to realize that Paul is saying to us in the marriage and child raising and master servant sections, Let's put all this into practice. Let's just do this. But our natural question is how? Remember one thing, like Paul under house arrest and then in the rented house in Rome, he had many reasons to be discouraged, and yet the Bible says in the eyes of God he was unhindered. And he acted as if he was unhindered because he took every opportunity Talk to people about it, what it means to truly put your trust in Christ as your Savior. So when you think about it this way, then you, you realize why one of the surprising things of our text today in Colossians 3.18 is how terse and pointed and pithy these statements are. If we, if, we, if we just draw them out quickly, we have these statements. Verse 18, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, the second sentence, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Now, 
the question you have to ask is, what else do we need to know about marriage? <laughs> is that all? Um, in other words, these are very pointed, very laser-like statements that are aimed at dealing with some of the most common areas of struggle, and yet, with no condemnation, all spoken in the light, white, bright, bold expectation that in Christ you can do these things. And, of course, questions swirl around all of them. Well, people argue, well, what does it mean for a wife to submit to their husband? What does it mean for the husband not to be harsh against his wife? So the question has to start with honoring the fact that God sees one of the wonderful facts of life that the best potential enjoyment of life in a marriage relationship depends upon a deep mutual trust and sharing and sensitivity and confidence and a mutual giving of love and deference one to another. When people grab verses out of context and only deal with one aspect of it, for example, some of the excessive erroneous teaching that some have used to bludgeon a wife into abusive submission, they are misusing the Scripture because the Scripture directly addresses the totality of the relationship. And the laser beam focus is on where we need God's grace to be especially aware of our spouse's need for those who are in a marriage relationship. So when we put that together, then we understand the word submit there uh, reflects the deep dedication to the well-being of one's spouse as a unique individual. The instruction to husbands is to be continuously preoccupied with what will bring the most well-being to his wife. And the mutuality of these concise instructions is expanded in Ephesians. Now, we're not going to turn there, but the passage is well known. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it unto himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or having any such blemish but that she should be holy and without blame before him in love. Behold, I speak unto you a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now there again in Ephesians 5, 25 to 28, Paul blends together the fact that Christ who is our life, Christ who is our living Savior, Christ who is our active high priest on the throne, he's the one that gives us the capacity to love and nurture and cherish and, yes, solve problems between husbands and wives in a way that is gentle, that is encouraging, that is positive, and that is effective. And the insertion of Ephesians 5.22 and uh, Colossians 3.19, wives submit to your husbands, is a Greek word that literally means to make an arrangement under authority. Hupo tasso, funny sounding word, hupo tasso, and it means under hupo, tasso is an arrangement of, of uh, order, of order. 
And we might think of it then in this sense, that one of a, true, a wife's true best joys comes from giving deference and thoughtfulness toward the leadership initiative in her husband. As the husband is thoughtfully and sensitively and with eyes wide open to her needs, seeking to love and honor and cherish and elevate her as an individual. And in that mutuality, the deference of a wife is such a beautiful thing. Now, we can all quickly see, and you know, your mind is racing, isn't it, when you hear it, because you think, oh, I know all kinds of examples where people are not carrying this out, and, and, and either one way or another, there is a missing piece. There's something happening that is destructive to that mutuality. And the, the frequency of divorce and the rampant nature of relationship failures in our culture is witness to the fact that these precise laser-like truths so exquisitely balanced in Scripture are all related to the sufficiency of our Savior who finds us in our faults and meets us in our weakness and shows us our failures and then lifts us as we lift these problems to God. At no point in any of those arenas is there any basis for one spouse to dominate, abuse, intimidate, insult, or threaten, much less harm physically, either of the other. And, and to fight against abusive relationships, though, friends, does not require us as Christians to sacrifice the beautiful, exquisite symmetry of the Scripture. This is the temptation of our current evangelical culture, and there, there is a very, very strong trend toward this, to reject this exquisite design of God for a mutuality in marriage that is enriched at every stage of life, and to somehow claim that to follow God's instructions is inherently patriarchal. That is a dangerous lie. Because the mutuality expressed here is not patriarchal, it's Christ-centered. And the Christ-centeredness that we see here and in Ephesians 5 is what helps us avoid one of the tendencies that's real in all marriage counseling and in all relationships. And that is that many people enter into marriage relationships or dating, serious dating relationships with an idealism sparkling in their eyes in their minds, unbeknownst to them. I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to go idealistically <laughs> demand things of people that are not realistic. But our idealism gets embedded in us early in our lives. You know, that cute little girl that got your attention when you were a nine-year-old kid, you know, and you, you, you idealize that little girl. I did that. I can remember that. Um, Women can do the opposite. They can idealize some situation with a man like, oh, the ultimate oh boy, you know, whether it's, whether it's his physical prowess or his intellect or his accomplishments or his money or his prestige, and they can idealize what, what, what the kind of husband would be that would 
that would really be um, her knight in shining armor. Idealism gets embedded in us so easily. Dr. Archibald Hart made this wonderful insight in a book called kind of a mundane title, 15 Principles for Achieving Happiness. How's that the title for you? But it's a great book. It's a great book. He wrote about 35 years ago, and Dr. Hart made this statement. He said, we bring, we all bring, he said, a host of expectations, reasonable and unreasonable. Now, be patient with me. Could you say that those three words with me aloud? Come on, say it out. Reasonable and unreasonable. How many of you can confess to that, right? We all bring a host of expectations, reasonable and unreasonable, to our marriages. We had an ideal image of what our spouse should be, and then we set about trying to squeeze him or her into the mold of that ideal. And Dr. Hart's point is that we're all prone to this in some ways. Not to say that it's always extreme, but that we're all prone to this in some ways he gives an example in his own life of how he did that. Now, the, the problem-solving part of this, as I said, is always so fascinating. And I want to give you four takeaways because uh, I'm out of time, obviously, and I want to I give you four takeaways because I think these will be valuable as we put together the truth of agape love and what it means to dwell with one another according to knowledge. Can you quickly, in these last, say, three to four minutes, put together two things that I think will help every marriage relationship. One is 1 Peter 3, 7 uses the phrase knowledge in a manner meaning an accurate understanding. The text says, husbands, this text is addressed to husbands and another part of it is addressed to wives. But 1 Peter 3, 7 says, husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. And the word there means an accurate understanding of her as an individual. Dwell with her according to knowledge. And then he says, because of your knowledge of her as an individual, honor her as one described as a weaker vessel, not necessarily speaking of physical strength, although biological facts now show us that that's true in a general sense. But Paul, the Peter's statement is aimed at the weaker vessel, meaning the one who's very dependent upon how you see her for her own sense of well-being and fulfillment. And so there are four takeaways. One is dwelling together. And dwelling here references the awareness daily of your wife's individual needs. It's why I used to jokingly say, might it not have been a great joke, but it'll work, and that is that um, when that my task in life is to be a Becky expert. And, and I would say that to every brother in this place. Put your wife's name there. I'm called to be a blank expert, an expert on her. Learning, of course, is part of that. So Peter says, dwell with her according to knowledge, Giving honor to the wife is under the weaker vessel, meaning that you are to learn together. And then he emphasizes being considerate of each other. And then, because what? Because you're heirs together, you're joint heirs of the grace of life. Enjoying your marriage. Enjoying the fun of being together. Enjoying the beauty and the uniqueness of the 
of how God blended these personalities. And so behind all of that and behind what Colossians 3 is giving us is an understanding here of agape love. And, and when we think of it this way, when we think of agape love, <laughs> we think of agape love, we think of this, and I want to send us home with this. It's a laser-focused love that Christ pours into the hearts of the redeemed. Grab that today. John 15, 11, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you agape one another, that your joy may be full. Agape meaning the self-sacrificial giving of love that God modeled in Christ that is not based on the need of the lover, but is based on the value of the love-e. Now, I know that's not great grammar, but take it with you. Not based on the need of the person loving, but based on the value. God so agaped the world that he gave. Agape love, different than phileo, agape love is, is God's sacrificial giving because of the preciousness of the object loved. It's the model for parenthood. It's a child, whether it's a toddler, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, a preteen, a, a tween, a teen, a college student, a young adult, that every child, what a joy to see every child as the unique object of your love because of the unique preciousness of that person. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Could you shout it out with me that our joy may be full? That our joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full, that your joy may be full, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. Joy, joy, from a laser beam focus on loving Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that for um, areas of need, the mutuality of a wonderfully, exquisitely designed plan that very incompatible individuals in marriages can become increasingly aware of that wonderful gift of grace, the grace of life in the child-raising arena for parents to have the wisdom to raise in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in the arena of employment and masters and servants, that we treat others with a dignity and a respect and an honor and do our work heartily as unto the Lord. Father, give us grace to step into life this week with an assurance, Christ who is our life, equips us to enrich the lives of everyone around us. In Jesus' name.